The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be spending our time together this evening. And the title of my message for you is Spiritual Authority. And while you're turning there, I have just a couple of things I wanted to make you aware of. The first is that um, Danny Ramos, who many of you know, he taught here on Christmas Eve. He's one of our pastors on staff. And uh, he's going to be leading the Wednesday night Bible study moving forward, which I'm really excited about. And he's just such an incredible pastor, shepherd, teacher. Um, we, call it, we call him the spiritual Yoda around here because he's, he's a little quiet, a little reserved, but every time he opens his mouth, everybody leans in because everybody wants to hear what Danny has to say. And so Danny's going to be leading our Wednesday night study, and he's going to be intentionally sprinkling in some of the, the younger guys and giving them an opportunity to share from the word as well. Um, and uh, looking forward to that on Wednesday night. So uh, my wife and I have been sneaking in on some of those, and it's, it's been really good. Uh, also, I've had a number of you ask me what version of the Bible I teach from. And I teach from the NIV version. And I like the NIV because I find it to be really easy to understand. And every time I open this book and preach from it, I want to make sure that I don't let anything get in the way of uh, communicating the truths of the gospel. And so I just I like the way it reads. It's very readable to me. And so that's why I go with the NIV. All right, with that, we can jump into our study. But I want to start by just um, talking about this football game that we've got going on tomorrow. It's a big game, the Super Bowl. It's basically like a national holiday in America. They say that roughly 100 million people in America are going to tune into the game. Some of us watch just for the commercials, right? Amen. Others of us, you get into the game, you, you're very invested. And others of us don't care about that stuff, but we just love the food. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. So here's a fun, couple of fun facts about the Super Bowl. Tomorrow, 14,500 tons of chips will be consumed. That's enough to give you a stomach ache right there. 4,000 tons of popcorn. 8 million pounds of guacamole is going to get eaten tomorrow. And then on Monday, roughly 1.5 million Americans will call in sick. Well, yeah, go figure, right? But when you watch the game, when you watch the game tomorrow, you'll see two groups of people running around on the field. You have the, the players as one of those groups. And I don't know if you've ever met one of these NFL players in real life. I, I have met a number of them. We've had several players, current and past, that have come to the church and are part of the church. And, and you know when you see one, you, that they're in the NFL usually, because they're just these giants. You know, I had this friend, Carl Wilson, who used to help me when I was the youth pastor, and he was one of my leaders, and I made him the muscle. You know, he was like our bouncer, make sure kids don't talk. And when Carl tells you, you know, to pay attention, you listen, because the guy was about six foot six and just pure muscle. I mean, these, these players are larger than life, right? Their, their biceps are the size of my waist. They have 
legs like tree trunks. They're athletic, they're quick, they're incredible. So that's one group of individuals that you have on the field. And then the other group are the guys and gals in the black and white striped shirts. They're the, the referees, right? And by comparison, some of the referees are pretty puny, pretty small, you know? You wouldn't want to, in a fight, you know, you're not picking the referee to win that fight. And yet, on the field, it's the referees who have all the power. What they say goes. If they say it's out, it's out. If they call a play in, it's in. If they say it's a touchdown, well, guess what? It's a touchdown. Why? Because the referees have all the authority. They got the whistle. And whoever has the whistle gets to call the play dead or call it over or whatever, like the case may be. And the players, they can throw a fit. They don't have to like what call has been made, but they can't, they can't get in the ref's face. They can't even talk disrespectfully to the refs, and they certainly can't touch them or they get penalized or even tossed out of the game. It's, it's all about authority. And in the game of football, the referees are the ones with all of the authority, and so they get to call the shots. Well, the spiritual world operates under a similar set of laws. You see, whoever has the authority gets to call the shots. So who has all the authority? Amen. Say it louder. Jesus. We know it is the Great Commission. You find it there in Matthew chapter 28. What did Jesus say? He said, all authority. Everybody say all. all. All authority, Jesus said, under heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says two incredible things in that sentence. He says, he has all the authority number one. And number two, he says, I'm sending you out in my authority. I'm sending you out as my ambassadors. I'm delegating my authority to you. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that we're incredibly powerful in the spiritual realm. But many Christians don't understand, nor do they walk in the spiritual authority that's been given to them. And because of that, there's a lot of Christians walking around living defeated lives. They're not walking in victory. They're not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus said he came to bring us. And so the text we're going to look at tonight is going to teach us how to walk in and how to exercise our delegated authority. We're going to learn how to walk in the power that Jesus came to bring us. So with that, let's go ahead and begin reading our text. And I want to back up just for context sake and begin in verse 9. We looked at verse 9 and 10 last week, but I want to revisit them briefly to make a few comments. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to that fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. All right, so like I said, we looked at these verses in detail last week. But what I want to draw your attention to for our purposes this evening is that phrase at the end of verse 10. It says, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness, and he is the head over every power and authority. When someone is the head, that means they're the, the boss, the head honcho 
of a corporation or of a business is the hefe. He's the one who calls the shots. And so Jesus is here saying that, or Paul rather, is saying that Jesus is the head over all principalities and powers and authorities. Now we know from other scriptures that these, these verses, or these words rather, speak of different rankings of angelic beings. So Paul is here saying that Jesus is the head over the entire angelic realm. He has ultimate authority over the angelic domain. And that goes for both the good angels, the angels of light, and he's authoritative over the angels of darkness. The demons have to listen to him as well. And we see this on display throughout Jesus' ministry. If you read through the Gospels, he would speak to the demonic realm while he was on earth, and he would cast out demons. And every time he commanded them, they would have to do exactly and whatever he said. Jesus didn't plead with the demons. He didn't beg the demons to go. He didn't barter with them. He commanded them, and they listened to him. Whenever he spoke, the demon would immediately do what he said. Why? Because the demonic realm, the spiritual realm, recognizes the authority that rests in Jesus. He has all authority over both the physical realm and the spiritual realm and the angelic realm, and so what he says goes. And notice how Paul tells us in verse 10, and you are complete in him. In, in him, all the fullness dwells in you as well. Here's what that means. When you and I come under the headship of Jesus, when we come under his sovereign reign, when we align ourselves with his will, when we walk in his calling on our lives, we can exercise that same authority. We can walk in that same spirit, that same power. That means that you can speak to the spirits of fear or loneliness or bitterness or jealousy or self-loathing. And in the spirit realm, as you come under the headship of Christ using his delegated authority, you have power over that same demonic realm just like Jesus did. It's not that you have all the power. It's that he has all the power and you belong to him. You see, it all comes down to the fact that you are connected to Jesus. You know those people that just seem to walk in another level of authority. They, they walk in victory. They walk in power. And Jesus, I believe, is calling us as his bride to step into that next level of authority. He wants us to begin to experience victory in these areas of our lives where maybe the devil has held sway and he has this territory staked out in your life. And God's tonight going to say, no, that has to go, and it all comes down to who are you connected to? Well, we're connected to Jesus, and we see that in verses 11 and 12, and I've given the heading to this section, United with Christ. Let's go ahead and read it together. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So in these verses, Paul uses 
two different metaphors, two different pictures to convey the depth of our unity or our connection to Jesus. Notice how many times he uses the phrases with him and in him in verses 9 through 12. Have you picked up on that theme? Paul says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form in Jesus. And in Christ, you've been brought into that fullness. In him, verse 11, you were also circumcised. He goes on, he says, and you put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. So it's all this with him and in him. You're with him and in him. You are united with Christ. And what that means for you and I is, your history is tied to his history. Your life is tied to his life. Your righteousness is tied to his righteousness. His victory is your victory. His authority is your authority. His future is your future. And that unity is powerfully illustrated in both circumcision and baptism. Paul says about how one time we were ruled by our flesh. What that means is there was a point in your life where your sinful desires, your passions, your sinful nature, it held sway over what you did, where you went, and how you lived. And there was no competing force. There was no other voice saying, no, I don't think you should go there. And so you just did whatever you want. But then through the work of Jesus on that cross, that old sin nature was cut down. It was cut off. It was done away with. And we, we get a type of this in circumcision. It's the cutting away of the flesh. And Paul says, that's what happened to you in a spiritual sense. You were given a brand new nature. And this nature now longs to please the Lord. It wants to live for the Lord. And so now you have these warring natures. We still have to put to death the members of our flesh daily, but now we have this new nature that longs to please God. And so Paul talks about that. The other picture that he uses is baptism. And I just, I love getting to be a part of people's baptisms. And by the way, if you haven't yet been baptized, we're planning on doing our first one two weeks after Easter. And we do it right out here in Solomon's porch. And we get these big tubs. And it's so incredible. This last year, we saw hundreds of people baptized. And every time I see it, it never gets old. It's, it's something that energizes me in my walk with the Lord. Because what those people are saying is, and, and by the way, we also do several baptisms down at the beach, which is you know, our, the most beautiful baptismal ever. <laughs> some people, some churches have baptisms in their, on, on their stage or whatever, but we, we do a lot of ours down at the beach. God has provided, amen, it's beautiful. But what those people are saying when they go down into the water and then they come up out of the water, they're identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. They're saying, the old me, the part of me that was governed by my sinful flesh, that part, I'm saying, was buried with Jesus. So when he died on the cross, it was my sins that he was paying for. It was my guilt and my shame that he was absorbing. And they go down into the water. And then they come up out of the water. It's in symbolic of the new life that they now live in Christ in the same way that a woman's water breaks and then the baby is born. It's that picture of new birth and new life. And the person who comes up out of the water might look like the old person that went under, but they're a new creation in Christ. 
So radical is this transformation that in some ways, it really is like becoming a new person. I have a, a dear friend who, who recently became a Christian, and she just walks around, and she's like, I don't know. It's like I'm the same me, but I'm different. Everything feels brand new. And you know what? She's right. She is the same, but she is different. She is brand new. She's a new creature in Christ. Paul said it like this in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you're a Christian here this evening, you're a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. That means you don't have to bow to the whims of your sinful flesh any longer. You have a new head. You have a new authority. You belong to the kingdom of light. You no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. You've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. And you've been ushered, the Bible says, into the kingdom of the Son whom the Father loves. So your past is Jesus' past. Your future is Jesus' future, and your victory is Jesus' victory. We see that in verses 13 through 15. Jesus' victory is your victory. Let's go ahead and read those verses. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. I love that picture. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Man, these verses, these verses are good. I don't know if you've eaten dinner yet, but you're getting dessert right now. Because this is good stuff, as Paul talks about how Jesus not only defeated, but also dismantled and disarmed Satan's rule and authority in our lives. And he starts by saying, we've been given new life in Christ. At one time, he said, you were dead in your sins. And this is the picture of the person apart from Christ. The word that he uses there for dead in the Greek is nekros. It's the same word from which we get our English word corpse. And if that doesn't paint a picture for you of the condition of humanity outside of Christ, then I don't know what will. It says that we were the walking dead. You remember the movie Princess Bride? Great classic movie. My kids just recently saw it for the first time. It's like a rite of passage to show your kids the Princess Bride, you know? And there's that one scene where Billy Crystal's character, he's like this healer guy. And Wesley, who's the main character, comes in. And they think he's dead. And, and, and Billy Crystal's character says to the others, he's not dead. He's just mostly dead, you know. There's a difference between dead and mostly dead. We can work with mostly dead, but dead, you know. <laughs> well, the Bible doesn't say that we were just mostly dead. That wasn't us, right? We weren't on life support. We were completely and utterly hopeless, morally bankrupt and spiritually dead. That's what Paul says in verse 13. But then he goes on to say, you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive with Christ. How did God make us alive? With Christ. By him, Jesus, taking our place. 
on the cross, paying for our sins. You see, Jesus lived the life that we could never live. Then he died the death that we deserve. And then he rose victorious from the grave so that all who put their faith in him share in his resurrected life. The prophet Isaiah put it like this. This is Isaiah 53, 5. And I'd love it if we could read this together out loud. He was bruised for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. His victory is your victory. His resurrection life is your resurrection life. Again, another verse. This is how Paul said it. And this is 2 Corinthians 5.21. And again, I'd love it if we could read this together out loud. He who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Again, his victory has become your victory. He took away your sin, verse 14 goes on to say, and he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us. Let's talk about that, this charge that was against us, this legal indebtedness. Evidently, there's a ledger in heaven. And on that ledger, every time you or I sin, that gets jotted down. It gets written down and recorded and added to the ledger. And we are accruing through this ledger a debt, an insurmountable debt. It's been said we owed a debt we could not pay. So Jesus paid a debt he did not owe so that we could be with him. But think about that ledger as every sin you've ever committed from the time you were born until now. I can only imagine how long my scroll is. It's just like rolling down you know, the street. And you know what the worst part about it is? It's all true. I'm guilty of every single one of those sins, guilty on all counts. There's video evidence. I can't fight it. I'm guilty, and guess what? So were you. But then according to what we just read in verse 14, Jesus has taken that list, the charges against us, and he has wiped it clean. Literally, Paul says, he canceled the charges against us. You know, we live in a cancel culture, don't we? Everybody's getting canceled, and it'll drudge up a text or a a tweet that you posted in 2003, and if it's not politically correct, they'll just, whoosh, you get axed and you get canceled. And the devil loves that because the devil is all about canceling us. But you know what? Instead of canceling you, Jesus canceled your sin. He didn't just declare you not guilty. He completely expunged your record and dropped all of the charges. That's what the word cancel speaks of. In Strong's Concordance, the word is also translated blotted out, and it literally means to obliterate, to abolish, to erase, to destroy, to utterly wipe away. In the ancient world, it was used of whitewashing a wall, or in some cases, overlaying it with gold. Don't you love that picture? There was this list of sins that was accrued to you, and Jesus has just overlaid that with gold. And when he removed your sin, he didn't just cancel it out. Paul goes on to say that he, he nailed it to the cross. Don't you love that picture? You remember how 
When Jesus was being crucified, they, they would hang a plaque and affix it to the cross member beam above the criminal's head. And, and they came to Jesus and they said, what should we write? For what crime is he being executed? And, and it was put on there, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Because really, there were no crimes that he was guilty of. But it wasn't just that sign that hung above Jesus' head. In the spiritual realm, it was every list and every sin from every person who has ever lived. And it was all being nailed to the cross. I love that. He took the list. He nailed it to the cross. And then you know what he said? It is finished. Three words in the English, but just one word in the original Aramaic. Tetelestai. It means paid in full. There's nothing left to do. In the ancient world, this word was used to describe when a servant had completed fully the task that his master had given. He would say, it's finished. It was used of an artist who had put the finishing touches on a masterpiece. They would stand back and he'd say, Tetelestai, it's finished. And it was used of merchants once the final payment had been made on an item that had been secured. They would stamp the words Tetelestai on the bill, paid in full. And that is exactly what Jesus did for you and I. He finished the work that God sent him to do. It was a masterpiece. He paid the debt that he didn't owe so that your sins are dealt with. They've been nailed to the cross. So here's what that means for you and I. The next time the devil comes and tries to remind you of your failures, you remind him of the blood of Jesus. When he tries to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future that was secured at Calvary. It's done. The game is over. Jesus already won. Amen. I have a friend, and a newer friend, and he was sharing his story with me. And, and he had served over in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, and when he got back, it just it really messed with his mind. And it set him on a dark path for a while. And he couldn't escape the things that he'd seen and the things that he'd experienced over there. And, and so he just he ran to the darkest places, and he got involved in the occult. And it was just a terrible situation. But then his wife came and gave him a letter telling him that Jesus loved him and had a plan for him, and she wasn't giving up on him. And that letter broke him, and the Spirit of God came into the pit that he was in and rescued him out of that pit. And he made his way back home to his wife. And, and he is now serving full time in the ministry. But he was telling me how sometimes the enemy will still come to him, you know, at random times and remind him of his past, remind him of his mistakes, remind him of his failures. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And he says sometimes he'll just be driving and his wife is aware of what's happening when, when this happens now because he'll just out loud say, nope, 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 mm -mm, not today, Satan. He'll remind the devil that territory that you once held, that's been nailed to the cross. Jesus took it out of the way. It's dead and done with. Amen. I just love that. Nope, nope. And sometimes you've got to do it out loud too. You can't just let the Satan run around and run roughshod in your head. You got to let him know. Nope. Everybody say, nope. nope. Say, not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. 
There's this great story about Martin Luther. He was the great German preacher and father of the Reformation, if you're familiar with church history. And, and the story goes, one night he was visited by Satan in his dream. And Satan began to accuse him of various sins and condemn him and run down the list of all the reasons why he couldn't be used in the way that God was using him. At one point, Luther looked up at Satan and said, are you finished yet? The devil said, as a matter of fact, I'm not. And he kept going on and he turned the page and he read through another long list. And then after what seemed like forever, the devil finally finished. Look, Luther looked at him and smiled and said, I think you forgot a few things and added to the list, you know. Then he said, now, take that list and over all of it write, the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. And you just need to be reminded of this fact tonight. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you place your faith in Jesus, the list of your sins has been nailed to the cross. I'm reminded of the words of that old, beautiful hymn. I'd just like to sing a little part of it to you. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. I butchered the melody a little bit there, but you get the idea, amen? Oh, what a blissful thought. Our sin has been dealt with and done away with. But it gets even better because in verse 15, we see Satan has been dethroned and sin has been defeated in our lives. Let's go ahead and read through that verse. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, you have to know that it didn't originally and at the time appear that this is what was happening. When it happened, Jesus' death looked like anything but a victory for the kingdom of light. If anything, it looked like a great victory for Satan. And I can only imagine how in those six hours as Jesus hung on the cross that all of hell erupted with glee and all of the demons danced while Jesus hung on the cross. The Bible tells us that for the space of three hours, the sky turned black. It's as though God the Father turned his back during that time on his own son because at that point in human history, Jesus, the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God, became sin on our behalf. You see, the devil and his fallen legions thought they had won, but it was at that very moment as Jesus cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was at that very moment that the demonic hordes were being stripped of all their power. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that if the rulers of this age had known what was really going on, then they never would have put Jesus on the cross. If they had known that they were defeating themselves, then they would have stopped 
but they didn't know what they were doing. And they spelled their own doom through that glorious exchange. I love the way the message version of the Bible translates verse 15. It says, he, that is God, stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority. And at the cross, he marched them naked through the streets. You think, what is that all about? Well, check it out. The Greek words translated triumphing over in verse 15, they literally mean to make an acclamatory procession. They're very specific words. And they referred to the Romans' practice of leading a triumphant procession after they had defeated one of their distant enemies. See, when, when Rome would defeat or conquer an enemy, they would hold a parade. And they would take the conquered king, and they would strip him down naked. And they would drag him through the crowd behind the conquering king or commander for all the subjects of the realm to see. He would be humiliated. The people would hurl insults on him. But that's not all. They would also cut off the conquered king's thumbs. And they would cut off his toes. This was to assure the subjects that this enemy would never be a threat to them ever again, because he couldn't hold a sword and he couldn't run in battle. So there was nothing to fear of this king anymore. Any rumor about him ever challenging Rome again would be scoffed at because the citizens of that, of that kingdom knew and had seen what happened in the parade. And what Paul is telling us is that's exactly what happened to the devil on the cross. You see, Satan has been defeated, and so have all of the fallen angels that serve him. I love this verse. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25. It says that all of his enemies have been put under his feet. Doesn't that just paint a picture for you? You think about the enemies in your life, enemies like jealousy, enemies like depression, enemies like anxiety, enemies like fear, enemies like self-loathing. Jesus tramples over every one of those enemies. Now, the devil, he's still there. And the Bible talks about how he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But he's all bark and no bite. He's been defanged and he's been declawed. His ultimate defeat has already been sure, assured, and so the devil should never terrify you again. You see, if you go all the way back to the beginning, when everything went sideways, in the, the wake of Adam and Eve's sin there in the Garden of Eden, God pronounced a series of curses upon the earth and upon mankind, and so on and so forth. And that's when death entered the picture. But there was also a curse placed upon the serpent. And, and right after God dealt with humanity, in Genesis 3.15, we find the very first prophecy in the Bible. It's called the Proto-Evangelion. And in this prophecy, God speaks to Adam and Eve, and he's directing his words to the serpent. And he talks about the seed of the woman. Now, typically, we don't think of a woman having seed. It's the man who provides the seed so that the woman, the, the egg can be fertilized, and then a, a baby is born. But he talks 
in verse 15 of Genesis 3 about the seed of a woman, thus hinting at a virgin birth. They're all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. He says, the seed of the woman is going to come. And he says to the serpent, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Now, the serpent in the garden was none other than Satan himself. And that's exactly what happened at Calvary's cross. You see, the serpent bit Jesus' heel and for a moment caused pain. But it spelled his ultimate defeat. And through his own death, Jesus crushed Satan's head. You ever seen a a snake with its head cut off? It can still bite you, so you have to bury that thing, which is why Jesus crushed it, put it under the earth, buried it in the tomb. He dealt with the head. Satan has been. He's been uh, decapitated, if you will. But if you've ever cut off the head of a snake, there is a while after that where the body and the muscles in the snake's body will continue to contract. And so the snake will contort, and it will move, and it will slither for up to several hours after it's lost its head. And that's really what we see happening in our world today. The, The head has been dealt with. The, the, the bite of Satan on the heel of Jesus, it, 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 he absorbed the pain and the, the, uh, the venom, if you will, so that now it's only the shadow of death that passes over us. But the body is still contorting, it's still moving, it writhes and it wriggles, but it can't bite you. The body is powerless, and that's a great reminder to all of us that Satan has no real power over any of us. You see, the only power that Satan has at this point is the power that we surrender to him. And we surrender to his authority when we believe his lies. You see, when you step out from under the covering of the headship of Jesus, you put yourself in a very vulnerable position. You see, it's only under the the lordship, the sovereignty, the rule, and the reign of Jesus that you find all of your provision, all of your protection, all of your covering. That is the safety zone. But when we come out from under that and we start to believe Satan's lies, we forfeit our own authority and we become vulnerable to the devil's destruction in our life. And since the Super Bowl is this weekend, I'll just use another football analogy for you guys. When the the quarterback passes the ball to his running back or when he hands the ball off to his running back, it's important that the running back follow his lead blockers and not get ahead of his blockers. Because if he gets out in front of his blockers, that's when he's going to get taken out by the linebacker. But if he follows his lead blockers, the big heavies, if you will, he's protected in that zone. And then he can find the hole and make his cut. And so God is saying, I am your head. I am your authority. And so as you live in me, as you walk in submission to me, as you come under my authority, as you stay aligned with me and my will for your life, there is covering, there is provision, and there is protection. But when you move out from underneath that, that's when you become vulnerable. And this is why, friends, some of you are still walking in defeat. And you hear me talk about Jesus has all the authority. And you're like, then why am I living in utter defeat? Jesus came to bring you an abundant life. Then why am I just barely squeaking by? And the answer is there could be 
Areas of your life where you've surrendered territory to the enemy. Now, what should you do if that is the case? You need to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, where have I stepped out through my own disobedience or by believing a lie that the enemy has whispered in my ear? Where have I stepped out and gotten away from my authority, surrendered territory to the enemy? I think tonight it's time for us to take that territory back. You recognize where you've surrendered this spot in your life. You repent of that sin. It might require you forgiving someone. And then you reclaim the territory in your life, because it's waiting for you. The authority is there. But you have to come under the authority of Jesus, because it's all about your connection to him. You see, Satan has no power. He only has the power we give him. All right? I love the verse in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, that says this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Earlier, we talked about how Jesus tramples on all our enemies. Here, Paul switches things up in Romans 16, 20, and he talks about how we will crush Satan under our feet. I love this. When we come under Jesus' headship, we move and function in his power, and we walk in victory so that we can walk up to those lies, and we can walk up to those enemies, and we can walk up to that jealousy, and we can say, jealousy, you are squatting on land that rightfully belongs to Jesus. You need to go, and it will bow to you. It will leave because the spiritual realm functions and operates under the same rules that we talked about at the beginning. And Jesus has all the authority. So you can say to the lying spirit of fear that has been troubling your soul and, and just causing you sleepless nights, fear you have to go because perfect love casts out fear. And when we walk in that, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. So the key, again, last point. Stay connected to Jesus. And I'd just like to read through verses 16 through 19, and we'll land there. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So in these verses, Paul points out several different ways that some of the people in the Colossian church had gotten off on these rabbit trails. They weren't necessarily bad things, but they were other things. And it had caused some in the church to go sideways. They'd lost sight of what really matters. And so verse 18, he says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility, the worship of angels, they can't disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. And then here's where we'll land. They have a lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. What happened? These people lose their connection, and so they're grasping for something that will connect them to that power source. And so they chase this rabbit down this hole, or they chase that thing over there, and they get puffed up with pride. And Paul says, no, 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 they've lost their connection. Just as your body can't live without its connection to your head, Christ is the head of the church, and our whole job is to stay connected to him. It's the whole thing. And if you do that one thing, You'll walk in authority. You'll live 
and victory, and you'll experience peace in your heart. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Father, for this word tonight, talking about and learning how to walk in the spiritual authority that has been given to us. And I just want to address you because I believe there are some here who God is revealing areas, even as I asked you to identify something in your life, an area of your heart, territory that you have surrendered to the enemy. And he's encroaching on land that belongs to Jesus. And just like Joshua and the Israelites had to go into the promised land and kick out all the squatters, because God had already said, every place the sole of your foot touches is land that I've already given to you. There are squatters in your life, places in your heart, things, and perhaps people, attitudes, habits, addictions that God is wanting to break the power of tonight. You see, we're not here just to hear another talk. We're not here just to check a box. We're here to experience the power of the living God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is in this place. He is moving. He is healing. He is saving. He is touching. He is transforming. And if you'll surrender your heart, if you'll repent and confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He'll move in. He'll reclaim that territory. And you can begin to walk in the anointing and the authority that Jesus came to bring you. If that's the desire of your heart, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Just repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I repent of all the things I've done to remove me from the place of blessing. I renounce those places. I surrender my heart. I come under your headship. And I say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.